Hey, boys and girls, thanks for tuning in to the Big Honker Podcast. We've had 100 episodes. They're in the can. we got a cool little giveaway going on uh, around that. So go to our Big Honker Podcast Facebook page, see what all the give- see what all we're giving away, see how you can get entered. Uh, one of the prizes is a four-man duck-goose combo hunt in Oklahoma for the dates of January 21st and 22nd. Afternoon duck hunt on January 21st, morning goose hunt January 22nd, and we're also giving away a whole bunch of other cool shit um, surrounding that. So, anyway, go to the Big Honker Podcast Facebook page and check that all out. All right, this podcast is brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries. Go get you Dive Bomb Silhouettes. Add numbers. Add numbers to your spread. That's what the birds want to see later in the year. They want to see numbers, and you can add numbers for not a whole lot of money. So go to divebombindustries.com today. Get that spread that you're looking for. And then when you're setting out those dive bombs, you're going to need a way to see them. Go to sealightleds.com. Go get the lights for your trailer today. We use them. It's changed the way that we set out a spread. Zach used to screw up setting up a spread all the time. You'd look at it and you just shake your head. That's all you could do. We got lights now. He can see what he's doing. We can see when we're brushing the blind. We don't have to guess on how on how well the blind's brushed. We can see exactly what we're doing. Get those lights on your trailer or put them on your truck. Jeff almost hit a deer. He turned them on all the time. He'll blind you. Blind you with them. This podcast is also brought to you by Boss Shot Shells. They're changing the game direct to your door. They hit like a freaking freight train. What more do you want? They came out with a three-inch shell not too long ago, Jeff. Yep, three-inch. I've heard heard amazing things. Zach had some guys shooting it and... uh, 75-yard shots, which I don't advise taking, but, hey, if that bird's getting away. But, anyway, he said it was crumpling them at 75 yards. Put those Cincinnati side slap on them. The three-inch number two. So if you're wanting something with a little bit more oomph than, uh, or if you just can't wrap your head around shooting a two-and-three-quarter-inch shell, they got three inches now. So go to ballshotshells.com right now. Get your shotgun shells. This show is also brought to you by 737. Get that duck call. 737duckcalls.com. That's right. And be looking for them as also one of our new promo sponsors for the new giveaway that we're fixing to be releasing in a couple of days. Big, big giveaway on episode 100, letting you know that right now. Also, Athlon Optics, best binoculars for the money. Clear, clear, clear glass. I can't hardly say that word. That's what I use scouting every day. Every day. That's what we use. I'm fixing to do that here in a minute. Athlonoptics.com, great binoculars for an affordable price. LuckyDuck.com. If you're going to run a duck spread, you're field hunting ducks, throw you in about three of those Lucky Duck spinners. They've got the remotes on them. Folks, there's nothing better than being able to put some duck decoys up, some spinners up in your goose spread. You don't have to get up and turn them off, turn them on, turn them off, turn them on. Hit the button, turn them on. You can put them on a rotational deal where they come off and on. Be looking for the Lucky Duck crew. We'll be on with the Big Honker podcast for Wednesday's episode. Look up LuckyDuck.com. All right, William Chris. Also sponsor this podcast, Great Wine, Texas Wine, if you're into that sort of thing, which I am. You can go get you the Sway Rosé. They're an H-E-B, Whole Foods, Central Market, those hoity-toity type of stores. You're not going to find it at Walmart. It's good, classy wine. Christmas coming up, get her tooted, get her sauce. Go get you a bottle of William Chris Wines. And, and, and for the women out there, you can get your husband tooted in sauce and get him some Garrison Brothers bourbon. It's the best Man bourbon drink. in the- Get best bourbon in the middle in, in Texas. Best bourbon in the United States. All you need is some ice. 
ice and bourbon. This ain't the shit you put with Coca-Cola or Sprite and doctor it up. This is bourbon for a man. You can go to GarrisonBrothers.com and get you some Garrison Brothers bourbon. Texas made, Texas born, Texas bred. Finally, the last one. This show is brought to you by Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. Ran by us. The ones that bring you the Big Honker Podcast. Hunting season's going on. If you need a hunt, we got some January dates. Not a whole lot. We don't have a whole lot in December, do we? No, we got very few. We got some December dates left. I don't have we anything during Christmas break. It's going to be like the 17th the 19th or something. Whatever the middle of that week is, we got some dates left. Texas, Oklahoma. I can't run another group in Oklahoma until... Not very many. I don't have very many dates. Call me. If you got some dates you want, holler at me at stanfieldhunting.com or 940-658-3172. They're still, they're still a little bit in January, so yep. if you need that uh, one last hurrah before season closes, give us a holler because we go go clear into February. All righty. On this episode of the podcast, we're joined by Chef Rory White, all the way from Toronto, Canada. He promised Jeff that he could make a buffle head taste like a million dollars. So he comes on, gives a couple of his recipes and how he prepares his birds for the for the grill, for the cooking, for the stove. However you're going to do it, he talks about how he prepares his ducks. Interesting podcast. Glad that we got him on. A lot of people have been messaging us saying that we need a chef. So uh, this is us appeasing those guys. So anyway, thank you, Rory, for coming on, and we hope that you enjoy this. Here he is, Rory White. Three, two, one. Boom. And welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. I'm Jeff Stanfield. I'm Andy Shaver. And we got a special guest on today. Everybody keeps asking us, hey. He's going to change your mind about duck and goose. That ain't going to happen, I don't think. He's going to do it. Everybody said we need to get a chef on here. So we went to Top Chef Canada. We got Rory White. These these fucking birds come from Canada, so we, we figured that uh, our best shot would be a guy from That's Canada. Right. He's at the local cafe in Toronto. Rory, how are you doing? Wonderful. How are you guys doing? Doing fantastic. How's the weather up there? You know what? It's funny. It's not that bad. We don't even, uh, where I am, we don't even have snow yet. Really? Uh, is that yeah. is that unusual for this time of year? Um, Last couple of years, it hasn't been too, too bad. Um, But no, it, it is kind of unusual. We, we should see some probably this week or the beginning of next, I think. Do uh, are Are you an American football fan or a Canadian football fan? I am an American football fan. Who's your team? Wait, I'm a, Buffalo. I'm a Bears Buffalo. fan. Bears? I'm a Bears. That's, I'm a Bears fan. What up? The future's what better up. than being a Packer fan. I can tell you that. I, I honestly, I, I listen to uh, I listen to the podcast, watch the uh, Packers game, the Packers uh, season kind of unfold, and uh, mm-hmm. poor Andy. Yeah, but Andy talks a lot of shit. He's getting what he deserves. That's the whole reason Packer Nation's going down is because of Andy. Yep. One guy can bring down Packer Nation. I don't know if it was very strong to begin with. Then. <laughs> <laughs> What's bad is, like, I get so many freaking messages from people that are supposed to be, like, in my corner, and they're just, like, giving me shit, sending me memes, and 
My inbox yeah. was flooded when we lost to the Cardinals. I'm like, motherfucker. Isn't it like the, the amount of bandwagoners out there? It's just frustrating. Yeah. The they, funny they thing. The funny thing is in life, everybody likes Andy, and I'm the asshole everywhere. Yeah. But on the podcast, for some reason, everybody's on my side always, and they think Andy's an ass. Nobody likes me. <laughs> you know what? I think the first person I reached out to in the podcast was Andy. Yeah. Um, he, he was he, he was hating on Canada a little bit, but he was hating on the. The West Coast, so I said you got to come to the East End and come check us out. Yeah. Now y'all are kind of in the center because, like, really far east is Montreal, and there's not a whole lot of that. Y'all don't have a lot in common with them, do you? No, 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 not much. Um, we're so the center of Canada is actually Winnipeg, so we're kind of the next, the next province over. So, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's pretty much the same people, just a little bit different all the way across the country, but. Uh, so, so yeah, you guys definitely got to come east as opposed to going to the west, going to stay out of the prairie. Now, I've been to Vancouver before. It's a beautiful city. There, you know what? There is it is really pretty out in the prairie. Um, the whole country is gorgeous, as far as I'm concerned. We have a little bit of an interesting. Like, I think we're five and a half people per square kilometer. So it's wow. not exactly like population dense up here. Right. First of all, so less people makes for a busy, a beautiful place. First of all, I don't even know what a fucking kilometer is. It's like uh, 2.2 kilometers is a mile. See, that's the kind of shit throws me. I was I was playing golf one time with a guy, and he shanked a ball, and this lady come chewing on his ass, and she's like, you missed my son by five millimeters. I'm like, fuck, is that like 15 yards, half a mile? Hell, I don't know what that means. <laughs> shit. You know, like, uh, he didn't get hit. Move on. Golf. Yeah. I said, fuck, we're, we're in West Texas. <laughs> Sometimes Goddamn. people get hit by golf balls. I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> so, so, top chef guy, I, I, I guess you're not making poutine every day? No, no, we, we don't do a lot of poutine, I'll be honest. Is it poutine or poutine? Poutine. Poutine. That's, you can say it's a really French way, which is poutine, but no, it's poutine. Not that, poutine. That's the Canadian it's, it's dish, not, isn't it? It's not poutine Jeff. It, it's one of them, yeah. Unfortunately, it's what we're famous for. It's cheese curds, gravy, and French fries. Now, that don't sound fucking bad for a fat guy. That sounds like fat guy food. Listen, it, it is tasty, but again, you can only eat so much of it until you're like, all right, I get it, poutine. Now, now, it. And then now they, you know, you go downtown. They put a whole bunch of different stuff on it, which is good. But at the end of the day, it's it's still just poutine. It's good. I love poutine. I don't want anybody to send me hate mail saying I don't like poutine or I'm anti-Canadian because I don't like poutine. I like poutine. I just, you know, I'm sick of it. So it's kind of like the it's y'all's Mexican nachos, is what that is. You know what? Essentially, yeah. Essentially, and then they're taking poutine and bastardize it. You can get Mexican nacho, Mexican poutine. So it's like salsa and. You know, chimichurri and stuff on poutine. I don't know. Now, it, what's this like? You know, it's 2 o'clock coming home from the bar. I got to imagine a nice dish of poutine not too bad. You know what? I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> I, I have definitely uh, burned that uh, candle a couple times. Poutine's not usually my go-to. I'm the, you know, Chinatown, late night. Uh, we got a couple spots where we order a uh, cold tea and, uh, you know, a couple beers, some fried rice. That's more, that's more my thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, there's there's nothing wrong with that. When I was up there, the the one thing that Jeff and I have a hard time with is nobody puts ice in anything. There's no ice. I don't know why. Well, it's just cold. I don't know either. That's, that is kind of weird. You know what? When I was in Thailand, they put ice in your beer. Oh, I don't like that. it's so hot outside that no matter how cold your beer is, the second they put it on the table, it starts to warm up, so they bring you a bit. And all their beers are like, you know, almost like a liter. So... What's that? Uh, I can't even do the conversion right now. Oh, just about 20 ounces for you guys. Yeah, that. thank you, because the leader deal, he threw me again. 
Yeah, yeah. No. Well, like, I don't know, what, one-fifth of a gallon, I think, close <laughs> to. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, so it was ice and beer, and I thought it was the weirdest thing ever. And then, you know, you're sitting on the beach, you have a couple of those. I came back, ice and my beer. Where, where are you? No, I had in Mexico, I had. That's what Jeff does. I love, I had a, I'm not a big, big drinker. I mean, I like bourbon a little bit and a beer every once in a while. But I like my beer in a frozen freaking mug where it's got ice in it. And in Mexico, in Mexico this July, I had a thing called a chalada, not a meat chalada with that tomato juice shit in it. It was tomato juice, or I mean not tomato juice. It was beer, lemon juice, salt, and lime. And I'm gonna tell you right oh. now, on ice, woo, that shit was good. I don't have scurvy, so I'm not looking at you know having too many of those. I'll try anything once, I guess. Oh, they're, they're, it's freaking good. I couldn't believe it. After about thirteen or fourteen of them, yeah, you don't even notice. <laughs> Yeah, that was a trick. So you made a bold statement to me on Instagram. You said that you can make a buffle head taste like a mountain. Oh, but listen, can you make buff, a buffle head? Yeah, well, can you make a buffle head taste like a beef? Because that's what's that's the key right there. Buffle heads are the I, I describe them as the butterball turkey of the duck world. Every duck you just have to do a little. The only duck, and I will go on record and say this: only duck that I will let live if they come into the spread is mergansers. I don't know if you guys get those down there. The hooded, yeah, uh, any of them. I will not shoot a merganser. I the only I mean the only good reason to shoot them is if your pike population or your your fish population is in trouble. They are awful. There's the one duck that I will not shoot. But buffleheads, they're 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 naturally really really fatty. So what we usually do with those is I don't I don't know how you guys clean your birds, but we I paraffin wax my birds. What's that? So. So paraffin wax is a it's a it's a type of wax you buy at the grocery store. Usually they use it for sealing jam jars and stuff. But we we get a pot of boiling water, throw a couple cubes of paraffin wax in it. The wax melts, and you clip off the one wing because we have the same laws as you guys. You have to take one wing to keep it legal. Yep. So I dip the bear bird in paraffin wax, then I shock it in ice water so it stops it from kind of cooking the bird, and we let it hang for. 10 days. God, Jesus. Know? Yeah, we hang them. Like, we just, the same as the deer, same as, you know, your beef, anything like that, we hang them. And it, again, this all depends on the kind of duck it is. But then when you go to break the wax off, it, it basically just peels everything off the feathers, the down, and it looks clean. So the whole duck will be like a clean duck. I'll send you a, I'll send you a photo of it. Do that. And it's, I mean, you know, you, you do the videos. Uh, you know, I think this year, I probably won't get out hunting this year. Uh, until the late season, I just had two kids, so it was actually uh, shots today. They had their eight-week shot. Well, congratulations. My wife was at the doctor with them. Yeah, it's you fun. Had, you had twins? Twi- twins? I had twins. Two girls. God oh, bless you. Oh, my goodness. How are you, how are you keeping your sanity? Well, I'm sitting here having a, having a little latte up in my driveway. There's, oh, shit. Oh, my goodness. You're going to buy so many tampons in your life? God almighty. That's all right. I want to know, how does... How do y'all do it? I mean, one of them's either got to be crying or shitting. You know what? Honestly, we we it's one of the, the only real reason you you figure out what you're doing right is because you figured out what you were doing wrong. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> about a couple days ago, yeah, a couple days ago, my wife read this article about putting them down and how they need to have like sleep in big chunks more or like more like regimented and routines. So two hours a nap, get them up, feed them, keep them up for an hour and a half, back down for a two-hour nap, and she's she's just very disciplined with it. Right. You know? And then they started kind of sleeping in four-hour, five-hour chunks. Uh, my mother-in-law and father-in-law live right down the, like, about ten minutes away. 
my mom's about half, 45 minutes away, so they every you know every now and then they'll come twice a week, three times a week. Uh, somebody will stay over uh, and then do an, a feed, so I can get some some uh, some sleep to go to work. But I mean, I don't really sleep much anyway. Show me to you right now. Having babies is harder on the dads than the moms. <laughs> oh, I disagree with you. I didn't push that thing out. <laughs> no, I didn't do any of it. I just had to sit there. It was this. Listen, uh, it's a, this is why women have kids, because if men did it, the population would be in trouble. Oh, could could yeah. you imagine, like, they, they tell you, like, okay, you got one out, now one more to go. My wife, was she had the epidural, and she was laughing and cutting jokes with the guys and, and the doctor in the, in the birthing suite, and it was 40 minutes. I had, the first, I had my first daughter on my chest doing the skin-to-skin thing for 40 minutes before the next one came out. Wow. Wow. Mm. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a serious question here. Have you got Have you got any of them mixed up yet? <laughs> and I'll tell you, no one, I'll tell you why. Because for the first two weeks of their life, they had hats on. <laughs> <laughs> that hat represented that kid. <laughs> and then my one daughter started to look more like me, uh-huh. and the other one started to look more like my wife. And then just being around, I took three weeks off when they were born. Yeah. Um, so that kind of helped me figure out which one was which. Are you sure you but, didn't miss them up though? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm pretty positive. Yeah, I'm okay. pretty positive. I, I wonder how, and, uh, how I wonder how many twins and triplets out there started out with one name and then just got mixed up in the shuffle at night and fuck you're you're Janet from now on. That's it. No, we you know what we didn't. Uh, well, I don't think we did because they looked like a little bit different when they were born. Yeah. But the hats that they came home from the hospital then, like I didn't, I didn't take them off. <laughs> That's good thinking. So That's, back. Back to, yeah, back to your paraffin wax. Back to wax. the paraffin wax. You para- are you gutting these birds before you wax them? No. No, no, oh. no, no, no. You don't need to gut them. If you, now hang on. Now, I don't need anybody like saying, oh, if you gut them, whatever. If you blow their guts out, yeah, gut them. You know, I but mean, a clean, this is for a, a bird that you've kind of folded up clean, got right. it in the head, got it in the, you know, like it's a well-shot bird. Right. Paraffin wax, and we hang them. Now, some guys will say, you know, they hang them for a couple of days. We usually hang them 10, 6 to 8, 10 days. Outside or in a in a, a freezer? We put hang them in a fridge. Hang okay. them in a fridge. Okay, because in Texas, in Texas, you can't do that shit. So Why not? It's too hot. I mean, inside you could. I didn't know oh, if you meant yeah, like hanging hang it outside. 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 You, no, no, we hang, I'll usually hang them inside in a fridge. Um, my buddy of mine's got a walk-in fridge at his house. He's a air like a air like he does field air stuff, so he has one at his house. Uh, so we hang them there, or I used to hang them at other places. So we'll hang them there and then go in with a little bit of vinegar and water. And when you go gut them, yeah, they don't smell great, but you just kind of clean them out, wipe them out. Mm-hmm. And then once you peel that wax off, it's just like, a, it looks like a duck that you bought at the grocery store. Really? I've never bought a good yeah. duck at the grocery store. I've never seen a duck in a grocery store. I don't think we have ducks at grocery stores here. No. Well, if you come up here, we have ducks at grocery stores. And it so looks, and, and it's just clean, just, you know, clean. as clean as you can you imagine. Absolutely. I'm going to go look for it. I have a picture of one that I did last year uh-huh. um, on my old phone, I think, and I'll, I'll find it and I'll send it to you. So but you can YouTube the videos, the paraffin wax thing, it just gets them clean. And then the idea is different ducks at different times of year. Like, you know what you, I mean, I don't know what it's like, you guys, your temperatures are a little bit funny, but we shoot mallards kind of in the beginning. Uh, our season opens up here, depending on where you are in the province, either the third or fourth Saturday in September. Uh-huh. Those first mallards that you shoot are usually the juveniles. They're not super fatty. But when we shoot, you know, November, December, down in the cornfield, we get the big, you know, that last pusher mallard that comes down, like the big greenheads. Mm-hmm. 
they have all that great fat. So we wax those ones, and then what we'll actually do is render the fat out of them, the skin and the fat that's on them, and we'll use the, the duck fat to make, like, pie dough and stuff like that. How do, when you say render the fat, how do you do that? So take your duck skin, your duck fat. Don't do it with geese because geese have a lot more of, like, a, like a strong, you know, they have metallic-y kind of really gamey fat. Right. Gamey smell to them. Put it in a pot, twice as much water as you have fat, and boil it out. And what will happen is that fat will solidify. And then when you see the skin start to crisp and fry in the fat, that means your water's gone, shut it off, strain it, and then you have duck fat. I'll be a son of a bitch. I'm still Honestly, thinking. Honestly, like, uh, everything that you can do, like, you got to look at, like, I know you guys talk about you make duck fajitas. Yeah. I love duck fajitas. I love goose fajitas. Yeah. But you just got to look at the kind of the more classic French cuisine where it was, everything was done with as cheaply as possible. Right. Like, you can make anything with, you know, like, we make goose prosciutto, for instance. Goose pastrami. And it's just about, like, having a kind of those recipes and then tweaking them a little bit for goose and duck. So the fat is, is an important ingredient. So down here, most of the time, we just, we breast ours out. Take yeah. The, take, the, take the skin and the fat off and just breast them out. So... Exactly. You're left with just that goose breast and that duck breast and you grind them or whatever. Like, a goose leg, they're really great if you take them. You got to marinate them to kind of get a little bit of that blood, a little bit of that gaminess out of them. Uh-huh. But you marinate them in, like, just red wine, like the cheapest red wine you can. Grind them up, cut them with some pork fat, like pork meat, pork fat. Make sausages out of them. Fresh sausages, summer sausages. You can cure them, smoke them. Like, you're, like what you guys call a summer sausage. Yeah. Just anytime you use a wild, like wild goose or wild duck, you can cut it. And you guys have wild pigs down there. Yes. Cut them with a bit of pig fat, like that good pork back fat, like that big, thick white back fat. So I want to go back to this paraffin wax because this is what I want. I want to try something like this because I like, uh, I like duck and geese. Jeff, he's still shaking his head, but, um, <clears throat> so you so, do it on a duck first. Uh huh. Just to kind of get the technique because the duck has a lot less like the heavy quill feathers, whereas goose have that those quills that are a little bit tougher to get out. Right. Um, but, yeah, you can just, I mean, other them. So walk me through your favorite duck recipe, because this is this is something I want to try. Uh, okay. Christ, so Christmas is going to come up. I'm going to have a couple days off. So this is something I want to try. So my favorite duck recipe. I'm going to send you three duck recipes. I'm going to send you one for a pastrami. You can use that for a goose. It's really good in goose. Uh-huh. Um, if you have a grinder, I'll send you another one. It's, uh, like a, it's a meat pie essentially, but instead of doing it in a meat pie, we either make meat pies with a duck fat or we take like a fresh focaccia loaf, like a bread loaf, uh, like a dough, make like a grind, almost like a duck sausage and we bake it in there. So it's like a sausage baked in bread. Mm-hmm. Give me we some, throw this really g- cool party every year. Yeah. Um, it, it, we call it the, uh, we call it the uh, deer, uh, like our deer harvest dinner. So our, all of our guys from our, like, a couple guys from our camp. Um, my one buddy has this really great backyard. He's got, like, a wood fire pizza oven in it, rot- like, a fire pit with a rotisserie on it. And we cook, you know, deer from that and whoever, you know, shot ducks. And so we'll make, like, torchera, which is a, it's a French-Canadian meat pie. We make the duck fat, render the duck fat, make the pie dough with that, and then fill it with, like, duck, peat, um, like, the shanks from deer. We'll braise them, pull them off, put them in there. It's like a just like a game meat pie. So that's a really that's one of my favorite ones too. When you say meat pie, I, I, I'm not I'm not sold on. on <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm on really lost on this meat pie. What meat is, pie. So what is a, your meat pie? So, 
I'm gonna hey, I'm gonna send you this one too. It's essentially um, it's, it's like pie dough, like a savory pie dough. So it's not like a sweet pie dough, mm-hmm. and you top it with you know we put like braised kind of duck in it or ground duck in it, braised venison and like a layer of mashed potatoes in the middle, and then put a, like you know a topper on the pie dough, bake it in the oven. And then just slice it, and it's like a savory pie. That sounds I, I, beef Wellington. I, I'm good with that. Not really so beef Wellington. Essentially, the exact so uh, uh, beef Wellington is a laminated dough. We mm. make a, a pie dough. So cut the duck fat, and then cut it half and half buttered duck fat, and then rub it into the dough, fold it, roll it, that whole thing. But very similar to a beef Wellington. Think about a beef Wellington, except with like ground duck and then braised venison in it. So you said that that uh, buffalo heads are like a butterball turkey. What did what did you mean by that? Just just tell so me. they're really fatty. So uh-huh. like, like we don't get so buffalo heads for us. They don't come down until we don't usually see them until it gets starts to get really really cold mm-hmm. up north. And they just have such a so ducks and geese have that natural gorge process where they before they leave where they're kind of living and they're starting to head south they gorge. That's mm-hmm. where they kind of really pack on their and they, they their feed bag and they get sort of get a little bit plumper, a little bit more of that fat to get them through the colder weather. Right. So we just take the we just take the those ducks again, paraffin wax them, polo wax up. Um, usually, what I'll do is I'll take the leg, the thigh bone out of the legs. They're little, so then you yeah. just spatchcock them. Which is you take all the bones out of the back and you lay them flat, roast them in a pan, butter, thyme. And then we either put them in the pizza oven in a cast iron pan and just cook them medium rare. But one thing so many people do wrong with wild game is they cook the absolute living hell out of it. Right. Like if you get a venison and like a wild deer or you get ducks and you're eating them more than like medium rare, it's yeah. going to taste awful. It's just too chewy or, or too tough or, or what goes happens? It's what too tough. It, it's, it's dried out. It, it doesn't have a great like flavor to it. You need to eat those things rare, like medium rare. Now, what about for the people that want to cook the whole duck? What what do you, what do you have to? What, how do you do that? So we would. So we we actually we, like with the roast mallards. I mean, we usually last year. I think I had about sixty in my freezer by the time. Like not in my personal freezer, but like I shot about sixty in a year. And just for the year, you know, we'll brine them for a couple of days, two days, uh, and that just helps them like pull some of the blood out of them and get a little bit more moisture into them. So they're a little bit harder to overcook. Uh, and then just in a pan, start in a cold pan. And as that duck fat renders off the breast, that starts to come out of the breast. And then that's what crisps the breast. That's what cooks it. So you're cooking it in its own duck fat. Yeah. How much, I mean, how, how long did it take you to, to find, did you grow up eating ducks and geese? How did you find this? Uh, how'd you find this out about yourself that you could do this? So my dad was a my dad was a duck hunter back in the day, and uh, he never I never I've never duck hunted with him. He stopped duck hunting, uh, I think, like when I was like younger. Uh, a buddy of his died duck hunting, but he was right. I don't know. I think it was before I was born, and so I just always knew. Like you know, we'd go to my grandparents' house, and my dad had his old shotgun there, and we used to love you know picking it up and holding it and all that stuff. And then I had a buddy of mine who got into hunting, just kind of by a fluke. He went to college. His roommate hunted. Uh, and he said, Hey, like you guys should go get your licenses. And I was like, already working in a butcher shop. Uh, I was already cooking professionally at that point. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. I want to go edit. I want to go get my license. I'll start hunting. Mm-hmm. And you know, the first hunt they took me on was a deer hunt and it was just like cold, miserable, but I loved it. You know, I, I didn't shoot a deer my first year. Then they took me on a turkey hunt. I got a turkey. 
And then I was hooked. It was like, okay, what kind of hunting is next? What's the next thing we can go do? Well, it's duck hunting. And then, you know, like they cop up and they kind of fly in and they drop down into a spread. And, you know, that was my idea of fun. It was more social. I like that. I talk a lot, as you guys can probably tell. Yeah. Um, just sitting on the stand is not like for deer. It's just, it has, yeah. I like it. You know, I like getting a deer. I like being with the guys and they clean you know, We clean deer at camp, but like, I don't know. It, it holds no magic for me. It I is. have no desire to get up and do it. It is mind-numbingly boring to me, and you, you know there's a lot of people that that love it, and that's what they live for, and I'm fine with that. Uh, turkey hunting is about as still and quiet as I can get, and even then, you know, you're kind of interacting. If I can't interact with what I'm going after, I really don't want to, you know, sitting in a stand like you said is not my idea of fun. Not my idea of fun. And you know what? Turkey hunting up here, there's not a ton of them around. Uh, it's it's a pretty pressured thing when you get to them. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. I've, I've had two or three instances where, you know, you run into somebody in the field. I had a guy almost shoot my decoys. Oh, wow. And it was like, I'm good. I, you know, I like turkey hunting, but it's, uh, I love duck hunting and goose hunting. That's more my thing. So you were already cooking professionally. You, you went to culinary school? Yeah. I did. I went to culinary school. Uh, I started working at a butch shop when I was about 13, uh, 12 or 13. So that's, I mean, and there was a guy who I worked with who actually built a butcher shop at his cottage. So during hunting season, he'd go up and, you know, took a couple weeks off and he'd go clean deer and for guys and not, you know, I, w- I went up there with them once. It was a lot of fun, but I had never had any inkling of, oh, yeah, like I should go hunting. Right. Because I never had anybody in my life that hunted, really. My dad had kind of stopped. And we, we fished a lot. Like, that's what we do. We bass fish a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, pike, walleye, that whole thing. Now at this butcher shop, was it were you cleaning wild game for other people, or was this uh, no, 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 no? Cow, we were uh, cows and pigs. Like a, we had a. I started with them. We were a storefront, and then we moved to a processing plant. Uh, you know, everything was regulated. No, no wild game. Just the one guy who had the spot in the uh, at his cottage. What uh, we've got a processor here, and how many deer did they say they would do in eight weeks? Seventeen hundred or something. Whoa. I couldn't imagine. That is a lot. No, no, me neither. I that was do. that wasn't just deer. That was deer and hogs. Deer and hogs. Yeah, deer and wild hogs. They don't do anything else during hunting season, right? Because they'll do whatever fourteen, fourteen hundred or whatever season. But they'll do. But during hunting season, from November first to the end of January, they won't do anything but wild game, either hogs or deer. Fourteen hundred. <laughs> oh, Seventeen hundred. Seventeen hundred. That's what they were saying. That's a ton. I mean, I, we have butcher shops kind of up north and stuff in, in kind of where guys have their camps, and they're, they're kind of famous in town. Our, our uh, rifle season, depending on where we are, is about two weeks for deer. So during that two weeks and then that probably the week after, they're, they're pretty packed full of them too. No, I, they're not, I'm probably not doing 1,700. Now, but are, it's, uh, are you just a bloody mess at the end of the day at this butcher shop? Um, I mean, sometimes it's – I mean, you wear a coat. It's not that bad. It's just like breaking down a deer. Hang it by underneath, uh, behind the Achilles tendon, skin them out, legs off. Uh, we usually leave one or two legs, this whole roast, or we'll debone the legs and then tie them back. Mm-hmm. They stay whole. Uh, cut chops out of the main lines of the deer. Uh, take the rib meat. We throw that into our grind. Grind the front legs. Now, that kind of stuff. We, kind of, we have a list of stuff we do. It all depends on how many deer we get in camp. Do y'all this get, year, I didn't go to camp. Do y'all so kill moose up there? Deer. Do you kill moose up there? We do. We do kill moose up here. That's a good eating animal. So, uh, yeah, they are. They're a 
super, super cool animal. They're super lean. Moose are, moose are delicious, but again, moose is one of those things where you really, like, I, a lot of people say, oh, I don't like moose because they've had it one time and it was somebody's uncle who made the grossest pot of stew or it's like, oh, I made moose pot roast and they all cook it, like, they all cook it the same way. Well done, cook it to death, and they're like, oh, it, it, this is just how moose is. That is not the case. Moose is delicious. Again, you just have to have somebody cooking it that's not going to cook the hell. So why do you think people overcook their meat? Because I noticed that, like, even with steak. Steak is one of the most delicious things that you can have, like a, a nice ribeye. Absolutely. A nice ribeye. And people yeah. people will cook it medium well. I'm like, get fucking beef jerky and save your $20. It, honestly, it makes no sense to me. I can't fathom it. I mean, people feel a little pink or a little bit red, and they're, they they freak out, and it's always, oh, I'm going to, you know, I mean, trigonosis was eradicated how many years ago <laughs> in domesticated animals? I, I can't understand it. It's what people's personal preference is. Um, I just, you know, I feel a little bit of pink in chicken. Like, well, you know what? As long as it's not raw, you're going to live. Yeah. So in Japan, you can eat chicken sashimi. It's all the way they clean it. Like, it's. People just freak out about seeing things that they don't understand and they haven't grown up. Like, if your mom, you grew up in your, your house, your mom makes pot roast and it's medium well all the time. Like, you're going to wake up, you're going to grow up, and you're going to be like, okay, that's, that's how I want to eat it because that's how I like it. Yeah. Now, when you went to Thailand, what kind of weird shit did you see over there as far as oh, food? We, I ate so much. Like, it would freak, it would creep you out when we eat. I mean, I, I had a couple drinks with me one night. We were walking downtown uh, Bangkok. And we stopped at a roadside stand. You know, like, you get, like, peanuts and stuff yeah. in New Orleans. They're like, yeah, they have, like, deep-fried, puffed, like, maggots and crickets and all kinds of shit. <laughs> I, 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 I ate it once. I tried it once. And I, I wouldn't go back for it. I wouldn't seek it out again. But, you know, it, it's a different. It's totally different over there uh, in terms of stuff like that. That was just one kind of bizarre thing that I thought we ate. But other than that, nothing too bizarre. Just like the food. I ate, unlike you, Jeff, I'm a big guy. I ate dinner <laughs> three times. I ate lunch three times. Uh, my wife and I would kind of go to like the remote, these are like we went to Chiang Mai, this remote, or Northern Thailand, and she wanted to go have a massage. And I went, got a local guy who's going for lunch. I said, okay, I'll buy you lunch. Just take me with you. Where do you go? You better watch out who you do that to over there. Oh, no shit. You know what? The one thing I'll say, the nicest people in the world, and my wife always laughed because no matter where we were on the train or the subway or anything, she could always find me because she just had to look up and down. Like, on the car, I'm the, I was the tallest one there. I'm 6'2", I'm but I tower over people. So where'd he take you to eat at? What'd y'all have? <sighs> like, this, like, back, like, these, like, uh, fried rice dishes, noodle dishes, uh, like, octopus dishes. Uh, we were in Chiang Mai where we were eating grilled fish, uh, like, pork belly soup. Uh, there's like blood noodle soup. So they like whisk in blood into the soup and like, it like sets it sort of, it was delicious. See that part with, I would eat that. I just don't like duck and geese. I, I, uh, that stuff don't bother me. I love that kind of stuff. As a guy that makes his living in the waterfall business, so for, for you to say, I don't like duck and geese, it just boggles my mind. It oh God, no there's nothing no tastes worse than a you duck You know what the goose. problem is, Rory, is, is like you said, if you have medium well pot roast, that's what you think it's got to be. His dad... Yeah. Probably burned a couple ducks or whatever, and that's how he served it to poor young Jefferson back in the seventies. And oh that's what God. Jeff that's what Jeff thinks duck and geese has to taste like. The, my my first experiences with duck and goose was dad cooked it two ways. Now my mom's not going to cook anything that didn't see say USDA on it, <laughs> and I'm a, and I'm Dago, so we didn't ever have potatoes. We always ate noodles. That's why I love potatoes. 
because we always had noodles with every freaking thing we ate, like all Italians do. But my dad, <laughs> my dad cooked goose to a duck and goose two ways. He did a crock pot with French onion soup that had teal and dove in it, and it was pretty good. I'll give him that. That that was edible. Then he baked a freaking duck or a goose. And let me tell you something. There ain't nothing stinks worse than a damn baked bird. <laughs> dry. God, I might drink it. have to have a gallon of water with a bite. It was dry and horrible. Is, it doesn't have to be that way. And then I had so much shot in my freaking teeth from eating. <laughs> you know, I, I probably have lead poisoning from all the damn shot I ate growing up from no. eating that stuff. <laughs> uh, I, we had a group of Italian uh, chefs uh, in, I guess, two years ago. And I just got back from, from a duck trip. I had, you know, whatever, 12, I was think we were done gone for three days. So I had my 18 birds. So I brought them into the restaurant. We cleaned them, and we had these guys in. So I'm like, all right, I'll do wild ducks for lunch. First guy, first bite, fits out of, like, a, you know, a number two, and I'm just killing myself. Like, laughing. <laughs> they said to me, they're like, we want to eat wild game. And I was like, okay, you're here in the perfect season. Like, we were at deer camp two weeks ago. We, I was duck hunting last weekend. Like, I'm loaded i'm full like <laughs> cool no problem oh that was funny how did first bite first guy number two shot how did you pre- how'd you prepare it for these guys well again we hung them um hung them and then just take the bones out of them so there's a if you look at google it, it's a french technique called spatchcock it's basically going in from the back of a bird and separating it so that the legs and the breast they attach but you take all the bones out of it how the hell do you do that uh, it's basically, you gotta get a really sharp thin blade knife and you just kind of work around the duck, around the rib cage, underneath, uh, the breast, in between the breastplate and the breast and then work it out. And then there's the, the bone that comes in between the two breasts and then you kind of like go over that really gently and it's just, it, it's just skill. It takes time. Wow. And fat, so we do that fat and on. roast them really slow. Lots of butter, and then just baste them. Cook them in a, like a pizza oven, like a, a stone hearth oven at the restaurant. We have a stone hearth oven. And you left the fat on for all for this whole process. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see that, that duck skin. It gets re- you render it down. It gets really crunchy. Yeah. If you see somebody take a really hot pan and throw a duck breast in it, that duck breast is gonna that that skin is gonna steer. It's gonna steal. And then when you slice it, you're gonna get that layer of like, you know, fatty not well-cooked skin. If you start a duck in a cold pan and just slowly start to render it out, uh-huh. and then as you kind of, like, you get going, you turn the heat up a little bit at a time, and then never take it over kind of medium heat, and that skin will actually render out and it gets nice and crispy. Oh, it sounds it sounds good to me. Okay, let, let me get on to this real quick. We talk about the buffle heads. I always laugh. We, <laughs> get, we get pictures all the time of guys have lately – I don't know if they're doing it on purpose to show me they're killing the piss out of them, but I get guys sending me strap loads of buffalo heads they're killing. Down here, we don't we won't shoot a buffalo head. I mean, unless someone wants to get one mounted, we don't shoot them. So they're shooting these trophy birds because they're little turkeys, is what you're telling us. They're, I mean, they're delicious. I mean, I like I like buffalo heads. Now I haven't. I mean, cold is cold. That's you don't see a buffalo head until it gets cold somewhere else. Um. But, I mean, they're probably the same as when you guys get them down there. But they got to be they're, – they're a colder weather duck. But, yeah, they're they're good. Just try roasting them up, lad. Eat it medium rare. Brine it for two days. I'll send you a recipe. I'm going to make a list here of recipes i got to send you. So I'll send you a pastrami recipe. I'll send you the, the duck brine recipe. You send them, you send them to Andy, okay? I will. I will. Where well, I, I, saw your, I saw your Facebook comment there about technology and computers and 
I'm oh, not going to waste my time emailing I'm, you. I'm, I'm having hell. Some snail, some snail mail. I'm having hell today. I'm telling you. <laughs> oh <laughs> shit! If I could figure out whoever made this mail program, I'd whip his ass today. Gosh, almighty, it's been hell. So these <laughs> these butterball buffleheads you're talking about. Now we have them yeah. here, and it's never that cold. I'm looking at a bufflehead we got mounted on the wall, and it looks like you'd need a whole bunch of them just to get full on. That's not much of a, no, not much meat. They're little, but that's yeah. the best part of them. They're delicious. It's like I mean, you shoot quail, right? Uh, I, I I don't quail hunt that much. I like quail. Quail tastes good, but quail's a different kind of meat than a damn bufflehead is. It, I mean, again, it's just about, like you got to get a bit of that gaminess, that duckiness out of them. Brine them. Um, I've heard guys do ginger ale. That's one of those things where I was kind of scarred. The first wild duck I ever ate, you know, they used to cook them in a in a paper bag. That was the first duck I ever ate. Somebody took a duck breast and rolled it in a paper bag. It was somebody's. It was you know, it was somebody's uncle, and I I, I won't say his name on air, but it, it was his uncle, and he had this wild duck, and they were horrible. Like the worst thing I've one of the worst things I've ever eaten. That when I was a kid, and that and someone's mom made pizza. But put ketchup on it. And put oh, it what the fuck! And those are the two things that stick out in my life as being like the worst thing I've ever eaten. So what did what did he do in this paper bag? He he rolled it up and so what, the idea what did he do? The paper bag was as it cooks, it it releases its grease, and the paper bag just kind of softs it up. Oh, that it was awful. And it's funny because that's what my dad said. That's how they used to cook ducks too back in the day. I read a story about, uh, I, I read a lot, I, I was reading something about some mountain men, and they had a story about them killing some quail, and they would gut the quail, and they, they would cook them on the open fire, like the coals, with their feathers yep. on. And then they would just peel the feathers off of them and eat them that way. Have you ever cooked a quail or anything like that? Quails, yeah. We uh, we don't get too many quails up here, but we, we buy quails at the restaurant, um, not wild ones. But uh, for instance, for Thanksgiving every year, I do we do it usually at the cottage. So I'll do a whole turkey, but I cook it over the charcoal. Hmm. So we like we're super like we're we're weird like not we're a, a rare breed. Uh-huh. We make maple syrup every year. We tap trees, make maple syrup. Uh, so we have that whole setup. So Thanksgiving we'll do turkey over the charcoal. Actually, there's a picture of it on my Instagram. That's pretty interesting because well, there ain't nobody down here makes some damn maple syrup. I well, you guys don't have maple trees. No, I've always wanted to. <laughs> now, that, that's the problem. we got mesquite trees. They don't make maple syrup out of them. I've always wanted – I'm going to come up north when he says, I want to go tour that. I'd like to see how y'all do that. Y'all just run a Listen, line right into the tree. you want to come this year, I'll be there. I want to come up there. I've never You're been more to, than welcome to come make maple syrup with me, Jeff. I'd like to come up sometime. I've never been to – I'd like to see Niagara Falls. That's one part of the United States I've not been to. I've been to <laughs> – So my, my sister lives in Kentucky, and she drove up with uh, – She's uh, she's doing her she's going to school in Kentucky doing her her masters, and she had two roommates. They drove up last weekend for American Thanksgiving, and they the one they actually took an, a, a longer route back so they could stop and see Niagara Falls. I went to school in Niagara. We would go to the falls, you know, every now and then. And it's like once you get there, it's like it's a waterfall. Yeah, <laughs> whether it's twenty feet or two hundred feet, it, yeah. it's a waterfall. I, I bet your sister you know? is getting uh, a lesson in Americana going to school in fucking Kentucky. Hey, I'll tell you what, we're doing pretty well. We, we've got some really good single batch bourbon coming out of Kentucky every time she yeah. comes home. So well, it's, uh, it's we've been doing really well. Now that's the second best place to get bourbon out of. Texas bourbon is uh, the know best. What? I've heard about this. I've heard about high Texas bourbon. I, I was on the website. I was trying to get a 
I was like, I got to figure out how to get some because I, I do love bourbon. So I was going to figure we got to figure out how to get some up here. Garrison is good, but Jim Mann from Kentucky was something this other day. Yeah, I, he, that, that's what I'm saying. He, he educated me that it's not really bourbon, but the people in Texas say it is bourbon. So I have no idea, but it's both good places. So what's, what's your Kentucky bourbon that you're getting? Well, she has like these really weird ones, ones that usually don't leave the state. There's the bourbon trail. So my brother and I, every when she comes home, she'll stop and get us one. And they're like single batch ones from like tiny little producers that I've never even heard of. I mean, we drank, you know, uh, Tabby Man Winkle. That's delicious. I'll oh. never buy a bottle of that because I can't imagine spending that much money on bourbon. I want to try um, it. I've, it's, it's, I've never had it, and that's one thing I want to try. I've only had it once, and it was because I helped the guy take his dock out and he said you want to come for a drink and i said sure i went up to his cottage he said well, what would you like and i saw the bottle and i was like i'll take an ounce of happy van winkle thank you very much he was not pleased <laughs> but he poured it and uh you know he didn't offer me a second one though believe it or not what did it, what did he say whenever you asked because that's like what he said you know what that is and i said absolutely and he, he just kind of chuckled he said all right well i guess we'll have one of these What's the bottle he run of that? Five hundred dollars. Pardon? What's a bottle run? Oh, they're expensive. Fifteen hundred. They're expensive. They're delicious, though. I mean, it's. I mean, I would never pay the money for it because I'm, um, you know, not going to spend that kind of money on bourbon. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I do. I did enjoy it. I read a deal, uh, a story. I was reading about it not long ago, and a a guy was a a bartender in Washington somewhere, you know, some, some bars get a bottle each year. Cause they, that's on an allotment and they got a bottle of it. And he said there was a kid come in trying to impress his friends and he ordered Pappy with Coke. Oh shit. <laughs> oh gee. I wouldn't have served it. Tell him he got lost. Yeah, no shit. That's, but that, but that's the way it goes with the young millennials. So I want oh, yeah. to get, everything is over on the rocks. I want to get um, to your uh, your chef life. You you said you wouldn't have served it. Do you get orders and you're just like, I'm not fucking giving them that. Like like uh, I, I've heard stories of guys uh, that get a, a, a filet mignon well done, and I'm not fucking serving that. You know what? Honestly, at the end of the day, it you, you you're in the customer service business too. You've been around the people who you just say yes, and you know, like the guys who don't want to shoot, you know, who want to only go out and kill greenheads. Okay, we'll try it. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You know, if you want right. a tenderloin medium well or well done, by all means. It's gonna be, and then don't complain that it's tough. Right. You know? Do you, we, I worked at a place, a private club, and we would, we flew in, uh, we had Kobe beef from Japan. We had a guy one night, and they got stuff that's expensive, and he wanted it well done. Hmm. And the guy who was, who was at the table wouldn't let him order it. He said, no, you can get a regular strip one. I'm not paying for, a, for you to eat a well done steak. I thought, well, that's good. So I would have felt horrible cooking it. Now, um, when you see that ticket come across, the well done, do you kind of reach for a shitty cut of meat, a shittier cut of meat, or do you give them? No. I, I, I instantly pull the server. We usually pull servers on the table. Um, it's educating your clientele. You can go out there and tell somebody, you know, maybe you'd be happier with this, or maybe we should try this if, if that's what you're looking for because this really won't be very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people are usually pretty honest. Like, you know, we do bison or um, – Water buffalo. If somebody orders it well done, well, the first thing I'm going to do is go to the table and just kind of explain what it is, talk about it, educate them, and say, you know, you, I think you should try it rare, medium rare. If you don't want to, I would recommend something else. And people are usually pretty trusting when you come up to a table. I, I want to ask you about a couple of celebrity chefs. Okay? Okay. Is Giadia De Laurentiis not a smoking hot chick? I, I don't even know who that is. What? 
You see that guy? Janet Miller, she's on the Food Network or something? Hell yes, that's yeah. Bobby Flay's live-in. I think he's banging. Oh, I think I'm, he's I'm, banging her, but I, we don't know that for sure. She's a hottie. No, I, I'm in. I, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't want to say. I don't watch a lot of. Uh, we got rid of cable. Um, we just have the the, the Roku box and Netflix, and uh, I don't know. I don't you, have a lot of. You need to Google her. Okay, who, who, who's a better cook? You think Bobby Flay or Gordon Ramsay? Oh, see, this is the thing about nobody realizes in, about Gordon Ramsay in North America. Gordon Ramsay won three Michelin stars in London. Right. Like Gordon Ramsay is an unreal cook. Like he, the guy can cook. Like that's the thing. He, like Hell's Kitchen's a show, and he's yelling at people and screaming at people and making fun of them and talking about dog treats. And but the guy can actually cook. Like so can Bobby Harvey, Flay. He won three Michelin star. And Bobby Flay. I mean, Cafe Bar, or, uh, the Bar America, or his restaurant in New York. I've heard it's amazing. Um, he can cook too. But I mean, you're. It would be like talking about. I don't know somebody who's. Yeah, like at a, it, it, they're at two different levels cooking and doing it two different things. I mean, I think if they were to go head to head, I mean, Gordon Ramsay would have them. That's just me. I, I don't know. So I think Gordon Ramsay is still a cook. He's still a, a cook. What, he can cook. What makes what makes Gordon Ramsay Gordon Ramsay? I mean, is it something that he's born with? Is it something that he's acquired over just years of practice? Like, what separates what separates the Gordon Ramsays, you know, from Everybody else, basically. Well, okay, you put it the same other way. I mean, in the waterfowl business, who, who are the big guys? Like, I got turned on to you guys listening to your podcast because I listened to somebody else's podcast because I saw that on Instagram. And, you know, you, you go to the, you, you look at, like, the, the big in the U.S. for you guys, the big, or we, you know, we have big watches here, too, but, I mean, you got Habitat Flat. You guys come up in that kind of, that category of those higher-end lodges. But then you have the, the guides who are at the, the smaller lodges and smaller guiding outfits who, you know, no one's really heard of. They're not as famous. They're not as notable. It's not that they're bad guides. They're just not at the level of the, you know, Stanfield Outfitters, the, you know, Habitat Flask guys. It, it's just like the, there's the, the upper level of it, and that's where Gordon Ramsay existed for the longest time. Like, in in, in, in the U.S. and the Canadian market, we have Health Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Here and then in the U.S. or in the U.K. they have the same version. So Gordon Ramsay's old boss, who is like the original rock star chef, his name's Mark Pierre White. This, I mean, he's he was an animal. Like when he he was kind of the first celebrity chef, he had his cooks dump flour and water and then beat up a camera crew that were just trying to get pictures of him. They staked that outside of his apartment. Oh, like there's shit. stories about that guy. Oh, he's a badass, and he was the original badass. I, I've heard stories uh, from. I, I like Gordon Ramsay. I, um, you know, I, I follow everything that he does. Uh, but I've heard stories that he's told about his early days as a chef, and like this guy yeah, that Harvey. he worked under would throw pots, you know, plates at his head, and I'd like physically oh, yeah. beat his sous chefs. So oh, yeah. he, he comes about oh, being yeah, an asshole right. naturally. Then he was fucking yeah. He was just beat into this shit. So you don't think Gunner I mean, could make it working for uh, for uh, Gordon Ramsay? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. He, he seems like an SM kid. He seems good at what he does. Why not? I mean, it would be one of those things. Like, it, it's not the. It's not necessarily like you're not a good cook if you can't work there. I met. I met great cooks that have worked. Uh, a buddy of mine works at Royal Hospital Road for Gordon Ramsay. It's his three star place, or worked there for a long time. Did some of the recipe testing on his cookbook, one of his cookbooks. Um, and he's an unreal cook. But again, he's quiet. He's kind of. He's not going to fight back if you're picking on him. Like he's the greatest guy in the world, but 
it's just that personality type. If you fit in there, you fit in there. It's, it's all about where you fit in, you know? You can have the greatest cooks in the world. I've had guys come into the restaurant, great cooks, great resumes. You know, they can obviously cook, but then they, they can't get along with anybody. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you're the, it's, it's a team sport at the end of the day. Do, do, and you can't get along with the team, you, you're not on it. Do chefs have a big ego? That, that, that egotistical kind of yelling and screaming, the golden day of that, is, it's long gone. It's now, it's collaborations in the team. If you want people to work 14, 16 hours a day for you, you need buy-in from them. You need them to want to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. So if you, wanna be, if you want people to feel like they want to be a part of your team, a part of where you are, you can't spend the entire day just abusing them. It doesn't work like that. Do you think that? And now certain people that you yell at them and it, it, it just—it's not—it's not part of the culture. So you just think that's where we're at as a society now? Yeah, and it's not even—it's a bad thing because nobody wants to spend sixteen hours a day getting beat no, up. Fuck on. No. Like there still has to be right. discipline. There still has to be, you know, uh, hierarchy. There still has to be order. It has to be still the chef my way at the end of the day. It, it, it still has to be that. But the getting there has to be a team effort. Like, if you hate somebody and you hate them every day and you walk into it and you work for them, why do you want to be there? If you hate you, why do I even want you there? Right. If you're the, even if you're the best cook I've ever had, if we don't get along, if you don't like me and I don't like you, see ya. Yeah. Well, chefs have become such a big so, – so high on the celebrity list now because – I love cooking channels. I like the Food Channel a lot, everything, their baking championships, everything. I watch all of them. But the guys have become the – you know, like Anthony Bourdain, he crossed over from just cooking to showing on CNN. And I'm not a liberal, so I don't watch much of their shit. But I really enjoyed his stuff. He was an interesting guy. But He, he was an interesting guy. He had a really – he wrote a book. It's called Kitchen Confidential. If you ever, have, if you ever want to pick it up. And it's basically like his career coming through – uh, you know, the Culinary Institute of America, he, you know, his kind of treading in the backwaters of kitchens in New York and the Hamptons and all the things. And there is some funny, crazy shit that that guy did when he wrote those, that book. What's the name of the book? Kitchen Confidential. It is called Kitchen Confidential. I'm going to have to read. I'm going to have to order that tonight and get it because I like to see him. And I also like the fat, goofy, bald-headed guy that eats all the weird shit. Andrew I don't, Zimmerman. I don't, like, I don't like him. Zimmerman, he's cool. I think I like so, him. too. I, I would love to have a beer with him. I'd like to go on a travel with him and eat with him and shit. Now, there's some shit he eats I don't think I could gag down, but he is an interesting guy. Listen, you got to be in for a penny, in for a pound. You either all of it or none of it. <laughs> yeah. no, I'd try it with him. He is, a, he is a really cool dude. He really is. I, and both him and Anthony Bourdain are probably my two favorite of all the this TV chef type guys because I find them interesting. I found them to be real people with real problems because both of them are recovering addicts, I believe. I think Andrew Zimmerman's a recovering alcoholic also. Is he really? I think yeah, so. I think it, was, so. it was really sad yeah. this year with Anthony Bourdain. It was, uh, it, it was horrible. That was bad for so I want to know how many, like, when you're trying to come up with a new recipe, how many things do you just throw in the garbage? Like, eh, this isn't worth a fucking piece of shit. It's just a piece of shit. How, how, many, I mean, how many of those do you have? Besides ducks and geese. <laughs> it can be ducks and whatever <laughs> You know what? Well, we always eat them. We always, even the, the bad ones. You got to eat them to learn from your mistakes. You're right. uh, it depends on what it is. The new dishes going on the menu, like, we'll try it. You know, there's something, there's one, you know, uh, do you remember those, remember the, you ever hear of a turducken? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So we, I tried to do a turducken with, um, like a cornish hen, uh, which is like slightly bigger than a chicken, uh, a duck, not a like cornish hen, a pheasant, and or pheasant, a pheasant, a duck, and uh, a quail inside of it. Mm-hmm. And I tried that, 
15, 20 times and frustrated with it, walked away from it, tried it a thousand different ways, and finally we, we nailed it. We did it for one dinner, one time, wrote the recipe, put it in the book, and that was it. Done. Locked the door. Never going back to it. Never going back to it. What what was hold what was the what was the hold up each time? If you got one part of it cooked right, the other part was cooked shitty. If it was set well, you know, it was it, like the idea evolved from like the original turducken to try to do it as a course and a tasting menu. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it kind of evolved into something else and then it evolved into a terrine and it evolved. It just kept evolving into something that we could never really make work. And then finally we got it and I was just so frustrated with it at the end of the day. I said, that's it. I'm done. I don't want to see it anymore. Now, when you said you make terrine, do you, have you made it out of moose and stuff before? Uh, moose meat, yeah, the terrine, venison terrine. We'll use the liver from a deer, and we'll grind that. Um, one thing, so when I was at high camp the first year or first year I was there, uh, we got our first deer done, and I made everybody eat the heart. And guys freaked. They're like, I'm not eating the heart. <laughs> and then they eat it, and they're like, holy shit, this is really good. How do you like, cook this? Uh, frying pan, just clean up the ventricles out of it. Yeah, there are a couple big muscle masses in it. Sear it, butter, thyme, shallots, garlic, and just baste it as it kind of cooks in a cast iron pan on an open fire. Delicious. You can grill it, make steers out of it. Um, some, I mean, most guys, like the thing is, you know, say when you shoot a deer, all that, that white fat that holds all the inter- or, uh, internal organs together, uh-huh. it's called call fat. That holds all the stomach and stuff. Right. So when you gut a deer in that white lining, yeah. that's called call fat. So what we'll do with that is we'll take it, we'll salt it. Uh, and then we'll rinse it just to get it white, get all the blood out of it, and then we'll rinse it. And we actually use it almost like a sausage casing for meat. So we'll wrap our meat in it, put you know chunks of foie gras and other stuff in there. As you roast it, it crisps up. It's delicious. But like again, a lot of people don't use that stuff. Now they just want backstraps. Right. If yeah. I hear the word backstraps one more time, it drives me up the wall. It's a tenderloin. Uh-huh. Don't pull the backstrap. <laughs> That's the venison tenderloin. That's right. Not a backstrap. It's a tenderloin. <laughs> have Have you had haggis before? Yes, I have had haggis before. Sheep stomach and oatmeal. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> that's what it is. In blood, isn't it? It's yeah. It's a stomach stuffed with oatmeal and like a bunch of other entrails, and then usually some some pork sausage to bind it together, and it's baked in the stomach. It's tied. Robbie Burns Day. That's what we do. We used to do haggis once a year for Robbie Burns Day. Oh, is it any fuck. good? That's it's no. not. It's not terrible. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like if you're going to eat haggis, I, I want to go somewhere that I know someone's making haggis and makes haggis. Right. It's not one of those like, oh, today I'm going to try making haggis. Right. You know, it's one of those dishes where, yeah, you got to really, <laughs> you got to know what you're doing to make haggis. So I want. Otherwise, it comes out like a raw oatmeal cookie. Oh fuck! So I want to know. Um, I mean, you, you've you just got to have such a good palate. Like when you try something, like when you're trying these different recipes, this is what I'm fascinated by, is when you take a bite of something and you're like, you know what this needs? And and automatically know like some off-the-wall spice is going to take this dish to the next level. So when we try things at a new dish at the restaurant, usually what we do is we'll have like, you know, two chefs and whoever else is kind of around, four or five different people. And it's, it's good not to get the same people trying it. And you try them and you ask them kind of individually. Uh-huh. without a whole group. Because the worst thing that you can do is ask a bunch of people a question and one guy says something and everybody just agrees with it. Right, yeah. you got to get everybody to see that. What does it need? Where are we going with it? How can we do it better? Mm-hmm. And that's where we evolve a dish. And you're like, I, I, I hang out with a pretty good group of guys. Um, 
outside the restaurant who, who all hunt and we fish and, you know, that kind of thing. And we love kind of hanging out and we love making this stuff. You know, we make a lot of bread and that's just what we do for fun. You know, I mean, we're all old dudes and kids now and we don't do it a lot, but back in the day, that's what we, you know, we did. We just fired a pizza oven or we were cooking something. It was good. So, uh, have you ever ate coot? Coot raccoon? No, coot. coot. Cool dude. Oh, coot. No, we don't have coot. And when you guys talked about shooting coot, I had to go Google what a coot and what a ruddy duck was. They're fucking dumb. A ruddy duck is about like a buffle head, isn't it? <laughs> it pretty much looks the same. Yeah, that's but what I'm figuring. I, I've never had a coot, but I, I, I'll try them. I'll try anything once. Again, I've been burned on the merganser a few times. Uh, in the late seasons up north, everything's starting to freeze up. They're like some of the last birds down. And we'll see them, and like, you know, before I kind of had sworn off them, you know, you'll try, I'll try them, you know, try anything with them. Uh, if you add enough pork fat to anything cured pork fat and grind it, you can make it taste half decent. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I'll try it. But again, the Merganser's the one duck I, I will not shoot. The the coonasses that hunt with us, they love the speckle bellies. Well, I was going to say the coots, they take the gizzards. Yeah, they take they? the gizzards out of the coots, but they eat the shit out of the speckle belly. They, they say a speckle belly tastes better than any other goose. I take their word for it. <laughs> Special bellies are good. Uh, I like snow geese; they're good too. Oh, we don't no. get a lot. I mean, we the honker. We get honkers and stuff. I I, I like them because that's what we shoot a lot of. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of I had a lot of geese, um, and that's kind of more my thing. But again, I'm not roasting a goose breast and expecting it, you know, to taste like the greatest thing in the world. We make like a duck pastrami, goose pastrami, goose prosciuttos. Um, we grind them, make sausages out of them. Cured smoked sausages, all that kind of stuff. See, snow geese are so dark. Their their meat is so dark. I I, I can't I can't do the snow goose. No, you know what? So we get uh, there's a wildlife management unit uh, like two hours from us. It's on uh, it's on well, Lake Erie, and there's one flight of snow goose that comes through there every year. And the one year I was there, and I I couldn't believe it was snow goose. I thought there were swans. Mm-hmm. Every year in there, someone shoots a swan. And it's a big ticket and all that, and you're kind of the last stock in the place. <laughs> and I saw the black wing tent that come through, and I was like, they're snow geese. Mm-hmm. And a buddy of mine was like, yep, yep, those are snow geese. So we, we clipped one uh, on a Hail Mary. And I was exactly the same as you, surprised about how just dark their meat is. But it, it tastes pretty good. The, the, and the bird that we shoot that everybody wants is the sandhill crane. Yeah. The yeah. ribeye of the sky. Yes. Yep. Do you like those? <laughs> I've only had it once. Uh, it was, I thought it was so. We don't have a sandhill crane season here in Ontario, um, but every time I'm in the marsh, there's thousands of them. Are, there's one day there's thousands of them around, uh, but they're delicious. How do, I do like sandhill. How do how do you cook them? Just straight on the fire? Like slow and low, baste them. Um, a lot of butter, thyme, rosemary, garlic. Like just floaty, and then let them rest. That's the one other thing, too. A lot of people don't let their meat rest long enough. Mm-hmm. Like, if you grill a steak, pull it off, and then slice it right away, it's going to bleed out. Where if you let it sit for five, ten minutes, kind of redistribute its juices, kind of sit somewhere that's just warm, right? it'll be a thousand times better. So keep it warm while it's resting. Yeah, keep it warm while it's resting. So don't just slap it on the plate and leave it there. You've been one of the most, yeah, don't. most interesting guys we've had on here because... Everybody that listens really to this cooks. I'm really glad you say that because I listened to the other one the other day, and Pat Pitt, I, I did not know who Pat Pitt was. We don't have 
taxidermy anywhere. Um, you know, we I think we have a one European mount at our camp on the on the bunky or on the garage. But that's it. Like my old man's very against he doesn't stuff any fish, never liked any of it. So we you know, we never had it. And that guy was I thought he was the coolest guy in the entire world. I thought that was one of the best episodes. Well, he he is a very interesting guy. You've been interesting because everybody that hunts with us cook wants to know how to cook cook these a meat and, they, and and they're and hunters are cook are, are, are foodies and the guys from yeah. Louisiana we hunt a ton of guys from Louisiana and they're all great cooks they all come up they got their big pot they cook everything in and you've been a very interesting guest and I've enjoyed this podcast as much as I have yeah. any in a long time it's been a it's been a good one you're very That's interesting awesome. guy I have the same thing big pot the you know I have the 120,000 BTU hooked up to the propane tank that goes to camp with us cast iron pans, build a fire. Like we are, Jeff, that is a really great point. We are the original foodies. Yeah. Like that's, that's we exactly eat wild right. food because we like it. We don't go out and shoot them because they're fun to show. Well, I mean, some people do, but we shoot them because I like eating. That's why I shoot them. So I want to know before we let you go, what is the, yeah. what is the worst dish that you've ever eaten? Worst dish. The, okay. Worst thing. Worst you're never going to do it again. Eaten. It wasn't me, so I just, it's a bit of a, a lengthier story. But so my dad and I, we usually try to get away once or twice a season to go fishing at like a up north or we'll pick a different lake somewhere we've never fished before. And we go up north. We're on the one uh, on the Madawaska River. We're at a lodge, and everybody gets an out like a gets a uh, guide for the day. And we were like, you know what? We'll go run the lake on our first day. We'll see what's out there. We'll see what we can catch. Um. And then we're going to go no guys. So everybody comes back at the end of the day. We're all in the fish cleaning house. And, like, you know how they have the shore lunch? Yes. And then the sh- yes. It's like deep-fried fish, deep-fried potatoes, deep-fried onions. Like, oh, okay. Me, yeah, yeah, okay. I eat that. Yeah. out. Right. So we get down and we have this, uh, we, we caught a couple bites, a bunch of fish, uh, and we're back in the fish cleaning house. And so I go outside, I start lighting a, a little fire, charcoal, and some wood chips getting ready to go for our fish and as they're, you know, getting ready to clean them. But one of the guys walks over and he goes, uh, Oh, you guys did pretty well today, you know, 15 bucks a fish and I'll, and I'll clean them for you. And I was like, no, you know, I'm all right. Thanks. I think I'll take care of them. And he's like, Ooh, it turns around to everybody. There's probably 10 guys in this room. He goes, Ooh, Steve boy is going to clean his own fish. <laughs> and I thought, all right. So I said to my dad, how much cash do you have in your pocket? A uh, hundred bucks or whatever. So I put a hundred bucks on the table. I said, how about this? How about we race? And so he makes a big deal. He's like, oh, easiest money I'm going to make all day. <laughs> so I go out to my truck and I get my knife kit. I come and I unroll it. And the fear of God came over this guy. <laughs> like he went white. <laughs> he didn't want to race anymore. He didn't want to. He, he just kind of floated in the background. And I, I'm teasing. I'm making fun of him. Could not egg him on enough to get it. Yeah. But the, 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 the guy who was the cook the lodge that night, he made this like grilled pineapple and like orange and like bunch of other stuff salad underneath a piece of like deep fried fish and like you're trying to be polite because this is when top chef had just come out and i hope it doesn't listen to this podcast and i'm <laughs> trying to be polite and i'm trying to choke it down and it was like just everything was like mushed together one texture it was like sweet and just awful and that was the one thing i said to my dad i was like i don't want to come back here again <laughs> you know that's, so that was probably it my my the one of the best meals i ever had in my life was a shore lunch and I was at the Turtle Flambeau Floyd in Wisconsin fishing, and it was pouring down rain and about 38 degrees. 
and the guy had fried fish, the fried potatoes, and Welch's sparkling grape. And I don't know what it was, if it was just cold. and But that's the, one of the best meals I ever had in my life. And people that's never had a shore lunch don't know what they're missing. I, there was a, there's a place and a time for it, and like that batter and you know, the fish crisp stuff. I, that stuff just grosses me out. I, it's not, I just don't like it. It's not my thing. Throw that whole fish on the grill, over some low charcoal, let's roast it, pull the bones out of it. You know, and then make tacos out of it. Like, eat it any way, like, you like it. Just, like, there's so much more than just, like, deep frying a, a wild, like, a, you know, a fish. Yeah. Well, the world exists outside of fish and chips. <laughs> but if you try to tell people that, like, you're Satan. Like, what? No, that's not true. It's, okay, well, I can't change your mind, but I don't have to eat it. Well, Rory, I have thoroughly enjoyed this podcast. We've got to go ska- uh, chase some geese. Uh, Good luck. Yeah, yeah. If you ever make we it down to it. Texas, you come see us, and you can cook up some yeah. buffalo heads for everybody. <laughs> we, we, we you know what? I was, I was actually talking to a buddy of mine. I said, there's a place in Texas. we got to go hunt with these guys. They seem like a good time. We would, but maybe, I mean, this season, probably not, but maybe next season. We, I'd love to come down and hang out with you guys. We would love to have you down. Uh, are you in the kitchen this evening? What are we doing? No, I'm actually sitting in my driveway. My, my kid, Like I said, my kids had their two-week, two-month vaccine, uh-huh. vaccinations today. So they're just having a nap, and uh, I'm oh no, I'm I'm home for dinner tonight. Good deal. Well, you enjoy I'll your family. Enjoy your family. Congratulations on Twitch. Tell us the name of your restaurant again. The, the local cafe and restaurant in Toronto. Yep. Yes, sir. Well, man, like I said, thank you so much uh, for for taking time out of your day. I, this was a, this was a fun one. Uh, enjoy the kiddos, and we'll talk to you soon. Send me those recipes. Uh- I will. I'll get them to you. Thanks. Thank you, sir. God bless Thanks you. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye-bye. Interesting guy. That was a good one. I yeah, like that He was one. a really good guy. That was a very interesting, a little different than anything we've done, and I enjoyed that. Yeah. Have to have him on again. Oh, I'd love to have him. Once, uh, once he sends me these recipes, I'm going to try a couple of them. And, uh, but don't invite me over. <sighs> Close-minded. Uh, don't eat nothing that's got a duck or a goose in it. Close-minded. Uh, do, can we find paraffin wax here? Yeah, I'm sure you can. Okay, here's what I got, folks. Oh, oh. December 11th, 12th, and 13th, I had a cancellation today. Just today? Just today. Oh, I got a group open fuckers. 11th, 12th, and 13th. I That's do next a, week. Yep, next week. Next Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. A morning goose hunt, lodging meals. I can do two days, and I'll make you a hell of a deal if you call me. A group of five or six guys, I'll make you a great deal. Lodging breakfast, $400 for two morning goose hunts. I need five or six guys. I can't believe they canceled. Just Tuesday, a week Wednesday. out. A yeah. week out, guys. Well, they lost a deposit, so that's what well, it is. You know, but 11, 12th, and 13th, hunting's good. It should and should be good, then gosh almighty. Andy knocked down over 40 today. I had a good one today. Uh, With no wind. <laughs> and what wind I did have was in my face. Looked at, pulled up to the field. The wind uh, on the forecast said it was going to be blowing east, southeast. Pull up to the field. It's in my face. I go back to my little handy-dandy weather app. It says, no, it's going to be blowing east, southeast uh, shortly. So I set up uh for a south wind but i was i was planning on crosswinding them on the east wind and that motherfucking wind blew in my face all morning long just gonna get you we got to and go. uh anyway yeah shot a limit of specs and uh you know couple couple honkers so yes uh be sure enter the giveaway enter the uh four person afternoon duck hunt morning goose hunt for oklahoma january 21st 22nd 
Uh, it's on the Big Honker Podcast Facebook page. Uh, all the all the I can't. Jeff's got me all fucking frazzled now. What you can win, how to enter, all that other stuff. What are we go, giving away? Go check it out. Uh, are we giving away something special? You asked me today. Have some to sell a bag something up. Yes, yes. Uh, last week. Uh, we're giving away some cookies for uh, in this big giveaway each week by sharing the 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 the. Oh, you're fucking! You're God damn it, Jeff! Just settle down, <laughs> settle down over there. Uh, by sharing the the episode post that I that I make each episode, uh, we're giving away smaller prizes. So this week will be a Boss Shot Shell biscuit hat. So that's what we're giving away for. Uh, the guys that share the episode post this week. So uh, be sure to get your name in into that drawing. Now that Jeff's not giving me the fucking high sign, I can think a little bit. But yeah, the rules on how to enter, what you can win, blah, blah, blah. It's on the Big Honker Podcast Facebook page. And we got to go. Jeff's already fucking standing up. So thank you for listening. Thank you to Rory White. Uh, Have a good one.